hi everyone um thank you so much for coming to talk um with the liberal youth today um so we've got members of the muslim youth the gibraltar muslim youth so we have ahmed we have aya we have Allah, and we have youssef um uh thank you guys for coming um so i'm just gonna jump straight into the first question so can some of you tell us about the muslim youth about your goals your aims why you decided to create the Muslim youth but what is what was the need for there to be a Muslim youth in Gibraltar perfect shall I take that one guys yeah, yeah sure okay um so first and foremost um a pleasure a pleasure to to be here speaking with you Christina um well no Muslim youth of Gibraltar um the actual creation of the Muslim youth was quite a couple of years ago I think it would have been 2017 uh, although not officially until more recently um, it was a group of uh, young Muslims in Gibraltar that were looking around within community and seeing that maybe the potential um, of young Muslims um, was not being reached was not um, being achieved to satisfy what they, they, they envisaged was their role or the role they played within uh, the Gibraltarian community so of course uh, Muslims have played a role in Gibraltar for many, many years, and it's important that we can differentiate between the term Muslim and Moroccan, because, you know, Moroccan being a nationality, Muslim being a faith, or Islam being a faith, mm -hmm. Muslim belonging to that faith. So, unfortunately, we noticed growing up um, in the mosques in Gibraltar that there was a bit of an ostracization, you can call it, of other Muslims, because in Gibraltar, whenever you'd say Muslim, the first thing that would come to mind is Moroccan. Mm. So it was conflating both um, things. And therefore, there were young Muslims and other um, older Muslims even uh, that were falling through the cracks in the sense that, you know, there are Muslims that um, have Pakistani origin or of, um, of um, Pakistani ethnicity or um, they have uh, an African ethnicity and another, another African background. Uh, it could have been reverts. So there's lots and lots of Muslims that exist in Gibraltar, but they felt like they, were, they weren't being included um, within the Muslim community, within the general Muslim community in Gibraltar. So on that note, um, you know, some of us were like, you know what, some of us had already gone to the UK and had studied in the UK and had mixed with many, many different communities, many different Muslim communities. And of course, we have to be aware of, you know, the context of Gibraltar. Yes, the majority of the Muslim community are of Moroccan heritage, um, but there are lots of many other Muslims that need to be catered for, that need to feel like they're included within, within the Muslim community in Gibraltar. So that was the aim. Uh, the aim of starting the Muslim youth of Gibraltar and not necessarily the Moroccan youth of Gibraltar is because, in essence, we are not Moroccan. We are Gibraltarian. We are proud of our Moroccan heritage. We come from, maybe many of our families come from, from Morocco. Uh, we visit Morocco uh, quite often, you know, just before COVID hit, actually. It's been a bit less and less these years. Um, we're proud, very proud of our, of our Moroccan heritage, but first and foremost, we're Gibraltarians. Um, and therefore, we are Muslim Gibraltarians. That is our identity. Uh, our faith is Islam and, and, you know, our identity is Gibraltarian. So for us, the Muslim youth of Gibraltar was a way more inclusive um, and understanding sort of um, way to frame this uh, charitable organization that we set up. So eventually after, after um, kicking this off, it was the intention behind it from the start was to provide a platform, a safe haven you can call it, or, or a safe platform for young Muslims to feel like they can speak their minds and speak out about certain issues that may affect them, discuss certain issues that may affect them, 
um, and support younger members who have goals um, and want to actually, you know, continue their studies, etc. Because in reality, um, and again, speaking as an educator and speaking as, as a Gibraltarian, uh, there are many of us who are first generation uh, university students, for example, uh, and many students find it difficult to access certain opportunities without um, having maybe parents that have gone through the education system in Gibraltar. So those tools, um, fortunately enough, yes, there is access to tools within, within education in Gibraltar for everyone, but the know-how of how to access these tools or how to access these opportunities is not the same for every single individual. So that was the aim. The aim was that when it came to the education side of things, as well as um, a charitable outlook, because one of the pillars of Islam is uh, charity, is zakat and it's charity. And we noticed that, you know what, we haven't been active as much as maybe we should have been or we wanted to be as the Muslim community in doing our bit. Um, and of course, the, one of the first um, contributions of the Muslim youth of Gibraltar was um, in a GBC Open Day where Ahmed gave a check. I think we, we, we had a, a first sort of project that we did, which was the Ramadan Unity Fast. Um, and, you know, we got people who were not necessarily Muslim to try out a day in Ramadan um, to uh, get that feeling, same as, uh, you know, just to understand or to have an experience of what Muslims experience during Ramadan. And then the money they'd saved up from the food they hadn't eaten during the day, donated to a Just Giving page. And that, thankfully, in the first year that it ran, raised about 500 pounds, which Ahmed then gave on stage um, at a GBC Open Day. I think it was 2017, right, Ahmed, or 2016? You hadn't... 20, I think it's 2017. 2017. Yeah, 2017. So that was sort of the initial step by step. And then, of course, accompanying that uh, just before COVID were the Ramadan um, uh, public air iftars, so the breaking of the fast, everyone together, etc. Uh, so th those were sort of the, we can call them the flagship events, then became flagship events that we kept using both, not just for educating each other, and opening the doors for everyone to sit and discuss and have chats and why do Muslims fast? Why do Muslims do this? Because when you foster an environment of discussion and understanding and listening, that's when we gel even more. And that's where, how we maintain what we have in Gibraltar. Um, and so by providing that platform, we could do one thing as well as the other, which was raise money for charities, support local charities to start off with, with an aim to hopefully um, maybe going uh, global or even turning around to our neighbours, Morocco, and supporting um, certain causes there. So yeah, sorry for going. No, no, that, long version. <laughs> that answer was amazing. No, because I mean, what you said at the beginning, you don't, a lot of people think, like you said, especially in Gibraltar, you think Muslim, Moroccan, and it's like, those, yes, those do go together but there's also so many other Muslims that will feel excluded um, and I think that's great that you've kind of brought together this youth group so all Muslims in Gibraltar can feel included and have that support from you guys um, and I think that's like that's a great thing and I think that's something for people to think about. Um, I definitely think in terms of youth groups in Gibraltar there are certain gaps um, and I think that there's certain young people who don't feel supported by maybe their generation or the generation above. I mean, that's why I wanted to kind of create a liberal youth group because it kind of had been abandoned and I wanted to kind of resurrect it. Um, and I think that's like great that you support all Muslims, not just Moroccan Muslims, but, you know, like you said, Pakistani Muslims. Um, and you said, I mean, I was going to ask you the question about identity, because obviously I view you all 
um, as Gibraltarian, like you said, you you see yourself as Gibraltarian. Yes, you have Moroccan heritage, you have Moroccan families, your a lot of your identity is Moroccan, but you you see yourself as Gibraltarian. I don't know if you can all agree with that, but you Yusuf said that you feel that you're Gibraltarian. Do you think that people in Gibraltar don't view you in that way as Gibraltarian as part of the community? Or do you think you've received that you've been received very well and you've been seen as part of the community? I think I think I think mainly kind of drinking the early kind of early years. Uh, so kind of you know when we were a lot younger and growing up, in an environment where you know, Moroccan was confused with uh, with Moroccan was being confused with Arabic, confused with Muslim. Sometimes you don't know what, what they mean, what they they're asking for. Um, but I think yeah, when growing up, there was a lot of those, there's a few barriers with regards to kind of people viewing you as Moroccan. And not as Gibraltarian, although you know, you're born, you're raised, you go through the education system, um, they, you're seen in kind of the, the, under under the eye. Um, but then I think with with time, as as kind of you grow older, and you know you go to places, you see places, you make friends, people start to understand, ask questions. Uh, then I think those barriers start to kind of fade away. Um, you, could, you could say, um, and then of course you know, once you kind of you get to A level, GCSEs, A levels. It's more of understanding. You know, everyone knows who you are. Uh, you know, you've been together for a while, um, and it just it just becomes like a bond. So then, there's not much of a filter, you could say, um, of you know you being seen as Moroccan or Gibraltarian. But I think yeah, definitely kind of Gibraltarian it's more like being a called gradual. G- yeah, it's gradual, a, it was a gradual effect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think I can piggyback on that, actually. And like, I agree, because I think it's also a generational thing. I think um, I kind of I kind of had that kind of, um, you know, I, I had that reaction from people, maybe from like the older generations, obviously, like, I think it's just like it's getting better with time. So a lot of like the older generations, I used to have comments like, you know, um, oh yeah like as a Moroccan you speak really like you have a really like well under like a, a good understanding of English or like you speak really well because I've like spoken or written a lot of stuff just stuff like that but it, it is I can say that it's majority you know older generation obviously so I think the younger generation that we're, we're being brought up with is is different yeah no I definitely get what you mean in terms of like the generational thing because um, I mean I've never like I've never thought to myself, oh, you guys speak good English. Like, I'm like, well, because they're Gibraltarian, like they've literally grown up and been in school with us. Like, of course, they yeah. you know, like um, I do think, yeah, it's kind of like definitely an older generational thing, which is interesting because I think going back to um, Yusuf's jib talk, you spoke about how like the Moroccan community have been so um, they've had such a big part in our community, like since the, the um, closing of the border. And it's just interesting how like only now people are like, oh, now they're part of the community. It's like, well, they've always been part of the community. Well, for a long time, they've been part of the community and you've played such an important role in the community. And I think obviously maybe the first generation Moroccans who came into Gibraltar, but you guys are now Gibraltarian. You, you've been brought up here. Um, and I just feel like I don't know why some people still see that. But I, at the same time, I think it's good that people are now viewing you guys as Gibraltarians, which is what you are um, at the end of the day. I wrote something down that I wanted to backtrack to. Um, and I think it is very important point to, to mention when it comes to this point of how you are seen or how people see you, etc. cetera. Um, 
So the majority, again, and I, and I speak of, yeah, the majority of, of young Gibraltarians of Moroccan heritage, um, the majority of them nowadays um, have either been born in Gibraltar or have spent most of their childhood in Gibraltar. I mean, I, for one, was not born in Gibraltar. I, for one, might, and it's, I, I won't go into that story because you've, you've heard it on the gym talks. Um, but um, I, you know, I, I was born in Morocco and then I moved to Gibraltar and, and by chance I ended up staying in Gibraltar back in 97, lived all my life there uh, in Gibraltar. But I think when we say sort of, and I think this was part of the question, we say, do we feel welcomed or were we welcomed? Or, so someone who we welcome is someone who's not from Gibraltar, you know, just in, in, in that phrase in itself. If, if I'm welcoming someone, it already puts um, a tone of someone who's foreign to, to a place right, or someone yeah. welcoming into a place. No? So first and foremost, uh, the, you know, young Gibraltarians, regardless of their heritage, because here when we talk now specifically is we're talking about our individual heritage, you know, Moroccan heritage. But um, I recall a conversation um, with, um, his name was Anton, I believe. Uh, yeah, Anton from, from the GBC. Uh, I did a um, program with him called Six Calls and it was on racism. And he's Gibraltarian born and bred, but he's of Spanish origin. And um, although maybe not as severe an experience as people of Moroccan heritage in Gibraltar um, with everything that's happened in the past, but he also felt that he wasn't necessarily welcomed, right, in inverted commas. Um, but I don't think there was a need to welcome. Um, there was a need to accept. Yeah. It's not about welcoming, but much rather a need to accept. And I think there were many issues, many institutional issues within public space, and within public life that were very, very challenging for the first generations of Moroccans, uh, which, again, I spoke about in the Jib Talks. And those institutional issues may, there are um, some of them that, that remain to this day. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, that's a whole topic uh, altogether. Um, but when we look at the older Moroccans that came here and, and both my grandparents are part of that generation that came in when the border was closed, they, on the contrary, their interaction with Gibraltarians, with locals, was a lovely one, to be honest. Um, they had great relationships going on. Yes, of course, you had, we always have had in Gibraltar, not as much of an overt discrimination or an overt sort of racism or an overt um, prejudice towards people who are different, but quite subtle. Mm, and we express yeah. it in quite a subtle way in Gibraltar. So um, there may have been instances of that, that, you know, the older generation were fearful of because they had to take all sorts of crap. They had to take all sorts of things. Why? Of fear that their lifeline or their bread, their jobs, their work would be taken off them. Be it the renewal of contracts, be it their residency, be it this, be it that. Nowadays, we see a generational shift. Um, younger people of Moroccan heritage, who are Gibraltarians in every right, um, are being more vocal they're starting to get more involved in things like politics and things like education. They are being educated in Gibraltar. They are going and furthering their studies in higher education, the same as every other Gibraltarian, thankfully. And they have the opportunity, the same as every other Gibraltarian, to do so. And then they're coming back to benefit their community by standing up and speaking out and discussing certain things like we are today. So I think the institutional issue did not help earlier generations. Um, it affected, I think, not only the first generations, but uh, because... Technically, we're talking about 
Gibraltarians of Moroccan heritage, maybe maximum we're talking about second, third generation, como mucho. Um, but the first and second generation, of course, found it much more difficult to adapt, to acclimatize. Um, but gradually, with time and understanding, um, things, of course, have improved. But yeah. No, no. And you made a good point in the sense that I think now it's more of a subtle kind of racism and like subtle things. And I feel like um, in terms of racism overall, you get that a lot in the UK as well, where it's like, it's it's not in your face, but it's like people say things and you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I think it's obviously it comes from like the institutional, you know, kind of laws and rules in place that used to be there and you said that they're better but I think that mindset is still there for a lot of people um and hopefully like I I mean like you guys said it's it's diluting a bit as you go down um but I feel like it still is there and I think having youth groups like the Muslim youth is a great way to be like hi look at us like we you know, we are part of this community just as much as anyone else. And we have a voice too. Um, and going back to what you said about in terms of politics, Yusuf, I don't know if you're right, reading all my notes because I'm li- you're literally saying everything that I want to say. Um, but in terms of like politics as well, because obviously I'm representing the liberal youth now. So it's a political youth group. Um, and I want to talk about as well rep- representation in politics. I mean... In Gibraltar, I think in terms of women and I think in terms of minorities such as the Moroccan community, um, the Muslims, like there's not representation in politics at all. Um, And I don't know if this sounds like a stupid question, but do you think having that representation, having those people kind of be your voice encourages more people from your community or from your faith to get into politics you think that has a positive impact on you you know getting that confidence and that motivation to be like look there's someone like me the same experiences as me I can do that too do you think that helps young people like yourselves having that representation yeah I think I think this question actually ties very well with the other one as well uh, because I think representation uh, is a key is a key is, is key to kind of developing relations with Gibraltar and Gibraltarian community uh, it, it's there to kind of represent community with regards to education with regards to social life with regards to so many kind of different factors um, and going back to the previous question which I'll tie up with this one is I think since you know the early kind of going back a few years the Moroccans when the borders closed the Moroccans were brought up for, for a reason uh, and they also were given a purpose uh, and that reason and purpose was to work uh, and go back to Morocco, um, and that was kind of that. That was kind of the whole, the, kind of the intention behind bringing Moroccans over to Gibraltar to work, you know, cheap labour uh, and send them back. Um, and then I think that mindset uh, just stayed kind of hooked on within kind of that Moroccan community at that at, at that time, um, which then caused I think just that mindset of you know. The kind of Moroccan community that was present at that time was just working, you know, earning a bit of money and sending it back to the families. Uh, and that kind of mindset, I think, continued and could have continued for years to come. Uh, but I think because of education and because of, you know, uh, uh, Muslims from you know, Moroccan uh, heritage kind of growing up, growing up, going to university, studying, understanding, uh, you know, kind of you know, interacting with the community, uh, 
and not being isolated. Uh, I think that's what kind of led to today. Uh, that's what led to kind of, you know, you know Muslims, uh, Moroccan uh, youth kind of getting involved um, with different kind of projects, uh, you know, uh, putting a hand in. And you can see that kind of proactivity behind it. Um, so I, I personally think that, you know, due to the representation, and although it, it's still not there, uh, but I think kind of we're getting to that stage of one day having someone that would represent us in politics, for instance. I was just going to agree, but basically, yeah, like 100%. I've never thought about it like that, Ahmed. I think you put it really well because I've never thought about the effects within, like, I know it sounds really stupid, but I never thought about the effects within the, the Moroccan community at that time. I always thought about like the mindset change you know, outside of the Moroccan community rather than within itself. And I, I guess it's so like, it's crazy how complex the situation is and how like the impact that it's had. But um, yeah, like the, the lack of representation, I think is a very dangerous thing. I mean, we talk about it like in, in terms of any, any other minority group, right? Like black, Asian, like what, what other minor, uh, ethnic minority group or minority group that isn't represented. I mean, it's not just, you know, there's a lack of empowerment, you know, within youth, and within like you're not seeing yourself you know at that stage whether that's in politics or you know business or fine whatever whatever field but it's also you're not having a seat at the table you're not having your say so you're not able to change the policies that might be you know inherently systematic systemat systematically racist or islamophobic or what whatever it is so it's you know it's a, it's a double whammy no yeah definitely i mean like you said like i mean as Allah said as well like it's i think when moroccans were kind of came to Gibraltar during the closure of the border like you said it's kind of like they came for a purpose um and they gave to the Gibraltarian community um but then they stayed and you know they had kids and generations after they obviously you guys are part of our community you are Gibraltarian but I think the fact that a lot of people still think that their purpose is what it was at the beginning and I think your purpose has changed now because you are part of our community you deserve that representation you deserve that voice like you said Allah at the table kind of thing like you you deserve you deserve that place at the discussion table at the table where policies are made legislation is made you know etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and I think it's not only outside of your community like the mindset needs to change I think it's within your community and I think you need to like big yourself up more because you deserve to be there as much as anyone else. And I think you guys need to change your mindset and be like, look, I'm here as well for other things, not for what, you know, my grandparents were here for, but I'm here for, you know, as, as here for anyone else in the jib community, essentially. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, like changing those mindsets from outside and within you guys need to have more of that confidence. And I think that's why it's great to see the Muslim youth getting involved and being like having having that position at the table because I've been seeing like your socials and I think it, like it's amazing to see what you guys are doing. I mean, even on the European stage now, you guys have been like, hi, like Gibraltar Muslim youth is here. Like, and I, I love to see that. I think it's great. And I think you guys deserve that voice Um on a political stage, on, on anywhere, on a business stage, anywhere. Um, and I think you guys are doing a great job in kind of getting young people like yourselves and giving them that motivation, that confidence and that support as well, which is amazing. In terms of like education in schools, I think I'm, I'm going to keep on referencing Yusuf's uh, jib talk 
I think was so interesting. I loved it. Um, but in terms of, like the history of it as well and how important you guys were in terms of the the border closure. Um, and do you do you think that this needs to be talked about more in school in terms of like history lessons? And do you think this needs to be part of more part of like the history curriculum? What do you think about that? Well, I think I keep taking things back. I keep writing little notes so that no, I No, of course. Like it's a conversation we can go back feed, and forth. They feed in perfectly, you know. Um, so I do apologize if I elongate certain things or extend. No, don't things. worry at all. Um and and by me taking it back a, a, a step brings us right into education and it's and I think it's extremely important and here I speak as an educator myself having worked for the last you know a couple of years um within education um I think the point that Alec made about a seat at the table um you know there's, there's always that phrase now if you, if you don't have a seat at the table then you're being served for dinner so um uh the con the, the idea of um, and Ella's laughing at it because there's an inside joke on there. Um, so <laughs> there's there's a bigger inside joke we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, basically, by having that seat at the table, and it's not always, you know, oh, you're going to be served for dinner, but having a seat at the table, sometimes, unfortunately, it's not, many things are not done out of malice, no, out of direct malice towards a specific community. And and, and at least not in Gibraltar from, from what we've experienced growing up, not direct malice. But if someone is unaware, but they are also not proactively wanting to be aware, then things fall through the cracks and then things don't happen and things don't change. So again, we're not saying it's out of malice, but more out of a lack of proactivity or, or proactively you know, searching for um, you know, how can we represent these people. And the point you make within community, Christina, the point you make is, is very valid because it's not just changing the um, narrative in itself, um, within Gibraltar, within the context of, of the whole Gibraltarian society, but it's also changing people's understandings within these ethnic uh, minorities in Gibraltar, because the Moroccan community is the biggest ethnic minority in Gibraltar. It's changing perception, it's changing understanding, it's changing this resident fear of speaking out or speaking about things that affect you. Because I'll be honest, you know, many of our families, many of our parents, when we get involved in, in, in certain movements like this, Initially, they had a fear for these things because they come from a time they've they've even looked at us and told us as their children, don't get involved in these things. Keep quiet. You don't want problems. You're, what problem am I going to get? I'm a British citizen. I'm a Gibraltarian citizen. I am entitled to speak out. It is part and parcel of the constitution that I adhere to as a Gibraltarian. So but they don't see it that way. And unfortunately, sometimes, yes, there are small, tiny repercussions and, you know, we live in a, in a very small community and there are certain things, there are certain contexts that we have to understand, which is fair enough. But when we speak about them living in those times, there was that fear of reprisals being taken against them. And that kept them from accessing so many different opportunities. It kept them from doing so many things. And the point that Ahmed made as well, and it fits into this, is the point on the Moroccans that initially came, they uh, were working, sending money back to Morocco. Why were they sending money back to Morocco? Fair enough. You know, some, some Gibraltarians would be like, Pomira, uh, they just earn the money and they send it back to Morocco and they don't invest in Gibraltar. Okay, we need to understand the context here. So here we look at the effects of long-term institutional discrimination towards a group or ethnic minority within a space. So that in itself stops people from accessing so many different things. So they have to send their money elsewhere and build elsewhere and have lives away from Gibraltar elsewhere. 
And that's why, we've, as we've seen on GBC, there's many programs on the derelict living conditions of many um, people of, uh, from the Moroccan community, because these things have not been addressed for decades. Um, and of course, I come back to the point of within the community, you're 100% on the money there, Christina, because it's not just about the rest of Gibraltar mobilizing and understanding, oh, you know what, this is unacceptable. This is because things were very bad back then. Things are a lot better today, but that doesn't mean we stop developing, we stop improving, we stop changing because they're not perfect and nothing is ever going to be perfect for anyone. This is life. So things have to improve. Uh, things have to be highlighted. Uh, issues in different public sectors, in life in general, you know, there always will be something. So we have to keep working and, and not just for the Moroccan community. I don't want to be here in itself if I just focus on the Moroccan community. I am going to be a hypocrite because then I'm not being inclusive. I'm not talking about this inclusivity or this plurality that exists in Gibraltar because there's so many other people that have suffered and that continue to suffer in similar ways within our society, within our community in the 21st century, in 2021. And we have to highlight all of these through highlighting our own experiences or our own lived and shared experiences within Gibraltar. Um, so here we come to education. If we look at education and education, again, as a teacher, of course, I'm going to say this, but education is, is, is key to everything. So whether we talk about politics, whether we talk about public health, whether we talk about um, development, whether we talk about anything, education is key. Uh, back in 1997, um, you were not allowed to access education if you were a child of Moroccan parents, unless both parents were working. If one of the parents wasn't working, you had no right to be in education. In addition to that, you had no access to education. Before it reached that point, just before it reached that point, as um, a Moroccan family, as a Moroccan woman, okay, here we're talking about women specifically, because only women can get pregnant. Um, if you were detected by the authorities, if you went to hospital, for example, and the GP knew you were pregnant, he would alert the authorities and they would ship you back to Morocco because they didn't want you to give birth to that kid in Gibraltar because that kid then would have rights the same as any other Gibraltarian. It was that sinister to that extent. That's what I'm talking about back then and today. There's a big difference, but we need, there's so many things that have been ingrained within society that have lasted to this day. So, and again, I say this with every single, with every part of me, I say this with, as a proud Gibraltarian, because if I wasn't a proud Gibraltarian, or if any of us weren't proud Gibraltarians, we wouldn't be speaking about these things. Because we want the community that we've grown up in, the community that we've embraced, the community that we represent in every step that we take, wherever it is, whether it's on a European scale, whether it's in uni, whether it's with our friends, we're proud to say we're from Gibraltar, we're proud to fly that flag. Why? Because that flag means a lot to us. So we want this country of ours to um, be able to to stand up, he um, head held high, and be able to say, you know what, we've done a lot. We've done for our people what no other place has. Do you know the amount of Gibraltarians that are more Gibraltarian than myself because they technically were born in Gibraltar, unlike myself, and I was born in Morocco, moved when I was three, were born in Gibraltar, but they were shipped back to Morocco because they had no access to education and their parents couldn't leave their kids out of school. So they had to take them back to Morocco. But in Gibraltar, they had no access to education. 97 there were, I was only allowed into school. I was only allowed into primary school because of my specific case. 
because I had suffered cancer, because of my treatment, etc. There were other kids my age that still had no access to education and they had to go private. No access to education, which is a universal human right, with a lack of education is a lack of everything else. Mm. You don't know what you're entitled to. You don't understand your rights. You don't know how to access certain opportunities. You don't know how to communicate. So I think more than anything, more than anything, it's not the resentment. These things have happened that we choose as a nation. And again, I'm not pointing any fingers, but we choose as a nation to brush them under the carpet. These things happen. It is part of our history. No country on planet Earth has a clean record of history. Mm. There are certain mistakes that were made. And I think that many people who do truly, and we know of many people that do truly feel resentment because of the way they were treated. And many people who are not in Gibraltar today, but who are who were born in Gibraltar, for example, truly feel resentful to the way they were treated, um, would love to hear, uh, you know, an apology, for example, or, um, you know, we did wrong these people, or we did, um, you know, we did block them from the rights that they deserved. There's actual, and this is not off the top of my head, and, and you've heard the Jib talks, there's, um, on, there's pages upon pages of this within our records. There's pages upon pages within the archives of Parliament in the UK. This was spoken about to the level of Parliament in the UK. I was not aware of that until what two years ago. I wasn't aware until you said it either. Until two, I I had to do a bit of a nose dive into mm-hmm. the records and search for this on my own to be able to find it. I had no idea about the history of my grandparents, for example, what they sacrificed during the times of closed frontier. Many other young young people of Moroccan heritage had no idea that these things had happened. They had no idea that the Moroccans had been treated to this extent. But again, we're not saying that it was all Gibraltarians treating Moroccans that way. On the contrary, one of the very fond memories that my late grandfather uh, had was of him building um, Bishop Fitzgerald School and of the wife of their um, boss bringing them down freshly squeezed orange juice in the hot sun while they were working. That's one of the fond memories he has. And before he passed away, he told us about it. And so it goes to show that on a human level, Moroccans and Gibraltarians got along just fine along when, when, when the border was closed. But on an institutional level, yeah, yeah, the yeah. discrimination was absolutely horrendous. And again, if we look at politics, we can say that maybe it's a bit of a trickle down racism from um, the English that were in Gibraltar at the time, down to the local Gibraltarians, down to the bottom of the of the feeding line, if we can call it that, or, 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 the, or the food chain, the bottom of the food chain, which was the Moroccans. So it ripples down over many, many decades. And unfortunately, you know, it has led to the stalling of many young people um, breaking through and making it through to education and representation and politics, etc. Um, I think you made um, like some really good points in terms of you you saying how you um, your community didn't know about so many things um, you know in your past about your grandparents but I think what's in- interesting there is that not only you don't know but like I didn't know um, and I think that I think a lot of ethnic minorities in many countries when it goes, when we go, I mean, I'm going off a tangent a bit here, but when it goes to like countries like post-colonial countries, 
um, and places like Britain, I think so many communities and ethnic minorities are just kind of like gone. Then they, they didn't exist. And it's like, what what do you mean they didn't exist? Like they they were there. And I think in terms of our Gibraltarian history, like I know so much about Gibraltarian history, the Great Siege, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know anything about, well, now I do because I watched your Jib talk. But before your Jib talk, I didn't know anything about the Moroccan community. Um, and I think, I think, I don't know if you guys can agree, but I think educating everyone on that massive, important part of history might even change people's ignorance and all these kind of, um, you know, stereotypes and things that they have about the Moroccan community or Muslim people in general in Jib. Um, and I think knowing about the struggles that your grandparents went through and knowing about the massive role that you guys had like we I don't know how what we would have done without the Moroccan community if it like when the border closed I don't know what we would have done and I don't think many people know about that um and I think in terms of like schools um you know in history I think those are things that we need to speak about in in history in Gibraltar um and I mean it going back to the UK as well, I, I was reading a book, um, it's called Black and British, and it's basically talking about this kind of um, topic where there's such a big part of our history that's just missing. I think a lot of it is ignorance. It's not, like you said, um, Yusuf, it's not malicious. It's it's just not knowing. It's not knowing mm -hmm. how, like, what part you played in Gibraltar, especially in a, such a crucial time where our, our border was closed. And I think schools I think have a responsibility to teach children about this and also I love history and it's really interesting but um I think it's something that needs to maybe be included in the curriculum um I mean, we, do, we do the king's bastion so I think maybe as a replacement oh, yeah. of the king's bastion or as part and parcel of the king's bastion we can have some sort of and I of think course. like at the point you make Christina is is, is so valuable because this isn't about just the history of the Moroccans as an ethnic minority in Gibraltar, but much rather a plural history of Gibraltar, full stop. This is our history, you know, the, the many people that have come through Gibraltar from the time of the Moors all through um, Spanish Reconquista to British rule to even maybe before that, all the history that surrounds Gibraltar, I mean, from Neanderthal times to this day, uh, how we're lucky enough to be in a place like Gibraltar, which is so vibrant when it comes to history. It's historically vibrant. It's, it's you know, it's in the entrance and the exit of, it's in the entrance of, of the Atlantic and the Mediterranean. The existence of the Islamic empire all the way through up until there is something else we were, some of us were talking about and looking into things we weren't aware of. There's a lot that's missing there, but we can't just say, oh yeah, it should be there or it should be. No, absolutely be proactive in speaking about these things and, putting pen to paper hopefully in the future through you know uh, platforms like yours through these chats through these podcasts put pen to paper and actually get something going to highlight um some of this history and um, the uh, previous mayor uh, john gonsalves uh, did reach out and unfortunately it was covid that stopped all of this but john wanted to have a reception for um people of moroccan heritage in gibraltar a cross-section of the moroccan community from elderly all the way to the young uh, put up some presentations and pictures etc of the moroccan contribution 
from the times of border closure all the way through to this day. And um, he wanted to have a reception there and uh, give them uh, a massive thank you from the mayor of Gibraltar for their contribution. This was in the books, but unfortunately, because of COVID, it never happened. So, you know, if I, if I don't mention this, I'd be, again, <laughs> the word hypocrite uh, flies around, but th th there have been individuals wanting to be proactive in doing these things. Unfortunately, yes, certain things may have stopped it, etc. But the Muslim youth of Gibraltar is not just for Muslims, Christina. It's not. Uh, the Muslim youth of Gibraltar is meant to be a positive force of good, not just for Muslims who can take part. We've taken part with many non-Muslims before in our charitable events, and they've come along. It's to have a name for an organization and to provide that safe space for people who don't necessarily have maybe someone to look up to or many people to look up to within, within society that I can maybe look up to, but not just look up to, see myself in. And that's mm -hmm. that representation. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's, it's a force for good and it's a, a force for um, the maintaining, not the creation because we do have it there, but the maintaining of a diverse, cohesive and vibrant um, Gibraltar and even Europe. I've stolen the motto from Femi, so, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> just to just to steal that that word maintain as well. <clears throat> like, I think one of one of the the not aims, but what links with the Muslim youth Gibraltar is the fact that seeing that whenever we go abroad in uni or whatever, we always love to kind of brag about Gibraltar and be like, you know, we have an amazing you know community. We have you know it's a shining beacon to the world. We have peace. We have everything literally. Uh, but then when it comes to, you know, real life situations, when people were kind of, is kind of in need of communication with, you know, ethnic minority groups, uh, effective communication uh, to solve problems, to help certain individuals, etc. There's, there, there's never been that communication, that kind of link, straight link down. There was always that kind of, oh, tell a friend of a friend. And then you always go back to faith again. And you go back to uh, the 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 imam so the the leader of a mosque and he's the one that is now in charge of solving that problem when in reality his you know, his job is you know to kind of uh, be an imam and you know take care of the mosque etc uh, so I think you know this is a, a step forward uh, I see to kind of improving communication between you know the higher up th those that are higher up in the chain all the way down to the bottom and allowing all those individuals Muslim individuals and other individuals that need help or assistance uh, can be kind of, you know, aided effectively rather than, you know, just being twisted and twisted and turned. In terms of like people coming to you for support, what support do they need? Um, and I mean, I want to ask also Aya and Allah, like in terms of women, Muslim women, like are there specific things that they come to you for? What, what, what kind of things do people come to you for? I think um, Aya can obviously speak about her her experiences but I think that's a really good question because um, there's a lot there's a lack of a female representation like you said but there's a lack of like female Muslim or mm -hmm. Moroccan or whatever your identity that you most closely associate with um, in politics in like in, in seniority in, in any field for example when I wanted to, to look into because I'm I, I love healthcare and I, I really want to make a career out of healthcare I had no one to go to who maybe looked like me I didn't know whether whether I could speak to somebody about how um, whether they faced discrimination or whether like how how the obstacles that they had to kind of um, go through. So it was really hard for me, I can say. Um, also, 
I think just to your first question about um, who comes to us and who asks us for help, but we've had, we've actually had now that we're like kind of, we're, we're, we're like we're starting, we're really starting now and like we're getting, we're putting our roots down and we're having sessions every week and like educate, um, educational sessions. And I think people have heard about us more, more often than not in, in the community. So we've had, um, I think it was the ombudsman, like they wanted to talk to us and they wanted to see oh, wow. whether we could help like the, the Moroccan community because obviously they have a lot of Gibraltarians with Moroccan heritage coming in with with uh, in need. Um, uh, obviously, just the connection with Femiso has given us so much um, more of a platform and more more resources to kind of bring back to Gibraltar as well. So we've had like youth coming up, coming up and reaching reaching out to us and saying like, you know, I want to do this or I want to. There's like there's a, there's a girl that like comes in every week that she wants to become a biomedical science and scientist, and that's what I am. So I'm like I'm trying to like you know really like encourage and be like, yeah, like you can do this. this is what you need to do. This is what you need to think about. Um, but I don't know. Aya, do you wanna do you wanna add to that? Actually, I've had a lot of uh, young females come up to me a lot to ask about education. Is it is it possible? Can we do it? Do we feel safe enough? Did you feel safe to go to uni? How did your parents take it? Were you able to apply for the grants? Were was it okay to go? Could you do it? And a lot of just questions on how to apply and how it. It went to be able to live alone abroad being there's a lot of stereotypes of uh, when you're a woman you shouldn't be traveling alone or you should be careful that a lot of bad things could happen and when you're American it's 10 times worse they they kind of put you in a bubble and they kind of just sadly a lot of uh, restrictions put and it's when you see women being able to go for their education abroad or being able to take part in different opportunities with hopefully with families who will be able to open a lot of opportunities to our youth here in Gibraltar it's just going to be so beautiful to be able to provide these opportunities and any help they need to these young youth we have in Gibraltar be they women be they males be they any ethnicity or religion they have hopefully we want to be exclusive for everyone and be able to provide any help necessary for Gibraltar um, yeah. I mean, going off that as well, in terms of like going to school in Jib as a Muslim woman, do you feel like there was a lack of support or a lack of understanding for kind of things that you guys go through on a day to day basis? Or do you think you, you felt that support? Like, what was that like in the schools in Jib? Again, such a really good question. Like, uh, where to start? <laughs> like, honestly, I think no offense to Yusuf and Ahmed I think obviously they've had their fair share of discrimination but as a visibly Muslim woman like you know there's like literally like arrows on top of my head <laughs> I've like I've yeah I've suffered bullying like I've suffered like um, like I think neglect from teachers and like you know people not hearing me out or hearing my my suffering what what is suffering or like my lack of opportunities I think it definitely got better I think it gradually got better and I think my mindset like like changed as well as other people around me my mindset changed um but I think I think there's definitely this element of like um like I don't know what it is exactly whether it's like gendered Islamophobia or whether it's like racist Islamophobia. I, I don't, because obviously there's, there's a racist element to Islamophobia, obviously. Uh, not that obviously non like white people can't be Muslim, but there's a, there is a racist element to Islamophobia. But um, I think I suffered that in school, definitely. Um, and I think that because there's a lack of representation, lack of just people who look like me, who are Muslim women wearing headscarves or not, not wearing headscarves, but identify as, as Muslim women um, out there, you know, in my field, or I, I don't see them, you know what I mean? Like, and I still don't see them now. Like there's, there's a few, but it's, it's hard to, 
to kind of navigate that world and learn about that world when you don't see yourself and when you think that's not um that's a place where that you can't reach like it's an unreachable um place no definitely you make a good point in terms of like you don't sometimes you don't think about having teachers from a Moroccan heritage or a Muslim teacher I mean I had one in Westside um in year eight she was a maths teacher you don't see like other Muslim women teachers and I think like that's so important to young Muslim women like to have that kind of support system there because even if you have teachers who do support you at the end of the day they don't have that personal experience there and they can only give you kind of an outside support but they don't know what it's like yeah um and I think like you said about being visibly Muslim with the hijab for example you know I think a lot of people are very there's a lot of stereotypes attached to that and I think a lot of people think it's kind of like a form of oppression yeah and um, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of like um, st- stereotypes attached to that. And I think in, Mor- in, in Gibraltar, there's a huge thing where um, I think they suspect that girls growing up with headscarf with with a headscarf on or with a hijab on um, aren't expect won't like are so oppressed in their household or yeah. they're so oppressed in their community that they won't be able to go to uni. Like they won't reach for, for those stars or like they won't or not even uni, like uh, uni is just one pathway, but like, you know, reach to, to, to get some kind of training or some kind of scheme where you can get, go into a career. Like there's, there is a barrier and I really had to force myself out of that barrier. And obviously I had a huge support network. Like I had teachers that I loved and there's teachers that, that, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without my mom was a huge help because my mom always pushed me to do whatever I wanted and friends. But I think a lot of other girls that looked like me, I think they suffered as a consequence. Mm. That's like, I'm personally, I'm not a hijabi. I am Muslim myself and both myself and Allah were, uh, were in the same year. I haven't suffered any visible racism or any, right. anything that Allah suffered in school. Even the way, and the only difference between me and her is she has a headscarf covering her head and I do not, mm-hmm. which is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, going going back to what I said, like, I think people need to kind of realize that wearing a hijab is a form of feminism because you are choosing to wear that hijab. No one is forcing you to wear that hijab. That is your freedom to wear your hijab. And I think people get very confused with like modesty for example I view that as feminism just as much as showing as much skin as you want like exactly feminism feminism is the choice whether you choose to use it and to like I don't know further your career or whether to to stop your career and take care of I don't know your husband and your children or your partner your children like feminism is the choice is the choice Mm -hmm. being given back to the woman because we've been oppressed and we've been we've suffered for, for hundreds of years yeah. so it's it's crazy that obviously there's like countries that are way worse than in Gibraltar and there's policing of women's bodies whether that's the one extreme or the other whether that's taking off you know using the hijab as like a sign of 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 islam like basically just outwardly islamophobia yeah. as a form of secularism but there's also the other extreme where there's countries where you can't wear anything else but a burqa for example it's just it's crazy how women's bodies are always being policed mm-hmm. and the there's a there's a huge fascination with just you know, controlling women and what they look like and objectifying them. And it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I don't know if you guys have anything else I, to say about that. I couldn't agree more, um, but I've got a couple. I've, I'm glad I've got pen and paper next to me because <laughs> there's points that I don't want to forget. And I think 
you know, I, I'll have to use this example just to just to further reinforce Alet's point and Aya's point on being female and being Muslim in school and being visibly Muslim. Um, as a teacher, I've had kids who I've called in my head triple whammy. And what that triple whammy is, being black, being Muslim hijabi and being a woman. So that kid, the amount of pressure and stress and racism and Islamophobia and uh, gendered discrimination that they've gone through at such a young age is if you can't even imagine it because we're not necessarily living it. She would find that moment of solace and that moment of sort of um, being able to unload when she'd come and sit with me and speak to me. Why? Because I could have a fraction of understanding of what she was going through because I was a Muslim teacher. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying on the contrary, again, it's not just because you're Muslim, you're going to understand or just because you're not Muslim, you're not going to understand. No, that's not, that's not the point here. Because like Erlet said, I have many teachers who shaped me in Gibraltar and without them, I would not have made it where I am today. Many of them, many of them. And I, I did a podcast recently and I think I, I exposed myself a bit too much, but I was, I was, I was young, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> but teachers, you know, teachers like, uh, and again, here, if I start saying names, uh, <laughs> that one is going to say, why didn't you say my name and the other? But you know, <laughs> maybe maybe many of us know, know Mr. Cardona from, from Bishop, no, Kenneth Yes. Cardona. Oh, my God, and Kenneth, yes. Kenneth, uh, sometimes out of respect, I still say Mr. Cardona because it's just, it just feels weird when I say Kenneth. Um, but the teacher doesn't have to belong to your faith. Right. But it helps yeah. when you can see yourself or when you think, oh, you know what? Um, that person can relate that relatability um but back to kenneth um <laughs> I, <laughs> always back to I, kenneth <laughs> i um i was in year seven and we had a trip to grasalema um in year seven i was still wetting the bed at night what mr cardona did next was was something that i'll never forget and and something that we still talk about to this day and he was there at the gyp talks as well um he promised my dad that he would put me in a room with kids that were a bit slow or like nice, like they would notice. And he woke me up twice every night to go to the bathroom. So I would go to the toilet and... It's impact. It's obviously impacted you. You still remember these things. Yeah, of course, of course. And that's, and this is why I tell you, it's not down to Mm. just, oh, if the teacher's Muslim, no, no, on the contrary. Some kids have had worse experiences with teachers who are just like them than with teachers who are not like them at all, but who give them the time and, and the effort and the understanding. Right, right. Uh, you know, there's no, we can't reflect a community within a community if there's no representation. The point that Aya made before as well about, and it's a very valid point. There's many girls, unfortunately, in Gibraltar who come from a Moroccan heritage or maybe potentially uh, a Muslim heritage, not necessarily just Moroccan, but uh, of a, you know Pakistani Muslims or, or Muslims all across, or non-Muslims who are entrenched within culture rather than maybe faith or the cultural patriarchy if we can call it that that these girls are not allowed to go to university or to travel on their own or to be away from family for example a father or a mother who has no idea what the uk is has no idea how they can let their kids go out there and they're more protective over their female uh, uh, children will have examples like ella and aya who they can come and speak to and they can put their minds at ease but they don't get this from anywhere else you know, when I went to uni, mm. for example, 
I, yeah, I, I was lucky enough that I was coming for treatment here and I knew the area of London. I knew the area of Kingston where I chose my university. And that led me to know more about, for example, my brother's university. And, but there are many people who were first generation university students like myself who don't have the economic means yeah. or the know-how to go and visit the universities they chose on UCAS. Yeah, you. I mean, you don't really think about that, do you? Because exactly, you really don't. And you when don't. I said it, I saw your, I saw your face. They go, "This is, this is gonna make Christina think." Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I be, I mean, coming, like, going from Gibraltar to the UK to study uh, is always really intimidating for every student, you know. Um, but I always had, you know, my older sister to fall back on. I mean, a lot of my mom's English, but I had my dad to fall back on. A lot of people who don't have Moroccan heritage they have their parents, their grandparents, their sisters, their cousins who have, yeah. who have all gone to university. So you have that support system. And obviously, Gibraltarian students for many, many years, especially when they brought in the grant system in 1988, yeah. went to university. And that's a normal thing in, in the UK. They went to university. Um, but obviously, like in Morocco, you know, it's not a normal thing to go to university in the UK. So for you guys you kind of were going in blindly like and obviously like you said in terms of being a Muslim woman as well and you know some Muslim women don't have that kind of like what happens in the UK like am I going to be okay is is everything going to be okay and you don't have that there and I think it's great that you guys who are young and who a lot of you are fresh or still I mean I'm still in uni but like fresh out of uni you you can tell them about your experiences you can give them advice you can tell them what societies to join like what support groups to join in the UK because we're like I've been told that um but like you guys don't have that as much and I think having your youth group is so important to like give them that support to go to UK because it's scary anyways um and like it's great that you have that support system there in terms of your personal experience as being Muslim um, with Moroccan heritage. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, I think a lot of this conversation we've had has sparked like things in me that I haven't even noticed. And hopefully people who are listening can notice. Um, and I think it's great to kind of have these discussions. Like that's why I wanted to do these podcasts and especially with you guys, because I think these things are not, these things are not spoken about enough. Um, and people are not aware about these things, myself included. And um, it's all like a learning experience and it's learning from each other, um, which is like a great thing. And I think it's a great thing that you, you ha guys have now have a youth group that like, you know, you're like a port of call. You can have these discussions. You can open these, you know, these discussions with people. And like you said, you're inclusive, not only of Muslim people, but of everyone. And I think that's a great that's a great thing that you can get people from like all kind of backgrounds to have these discussions and these conversations and I think it's it's honestly it's great the aim is that education will always break ignorance um yeah so by us being active within community with Muslims as well as non-Muslims it breaks certain stereotypes or certain beliefs or or, or, or surely ignorance towards um, the Muslim people in general, um, it breaks these stereotypes that may exist or that may be in place as a result of whatever. But at the same time, it allows discussion. And that's why in many of the iftars that we do in the public iftar, we try and get Muslims, non-Muslims, everyone mixed in the table 
to have a chat about what each and every one do. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're human beings, no matter what faith, what color, what anything, we're human beings. And, you know, we actually have more similarities than we do differences. So we might as well focus on those similarities and maybe then maybe the world we live in can be a better place. Um, the point of not being alone, we were lucky enough to come across um, FEMISO or the Forum of European Muslim Youth and Student Organizations. Um, and that truly allowed us to see that we're not alone because we thought it was just like an individual battle and we're just, you know, we're trying this existence and lack of representation and no involvement in politics. And, you know, it's because again, decisions are made in politics and there's, there's not been a single uh, politician of Moroccan heritage, let alone Muslim in parliament to this day from the, the, from the beginning of, of, of the Gibraltar parliament. So for us, it was like, oh, how, how can, and then we met Femis and these guys have, put in so much work since 1996 to, and I stole their slogan before, um, <laughs> I stole their motto, to, to sort of um, create this vibrant, diverse and cohesive Europe where it's not just about your faith, but it's about the qualities you can bring to the table. It's about mm -hmm. the positive impact you can bring to a community. And again, the opportunity thankfully came for us to go. It was Elet, myself and Ahmed that went to the European Parliament during the I event, which is a European youth event. And there is for us to interact with those young people, but also interact with the decision makers. Here we come to the point of politics, decision makers with MEPs within the heart of European democracy. Sorry for just elongating this, but hey, Alec, do you want to add anything? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you've covered it. Uh, the spotlight's on you now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, like just to add to that, like youth, you know what I mean? Like just having youth like voices heard and like empowering the youth and I think that's something that I'm this is why like I'm, I'm so passionate about NYG uh, Muslim Youth of Gibraltar because I really want to empower the youth like I see there's such like there's, there's improvement but there's been such a lag in improvement and it's not fast enough honestly like we need to, to just speed this up because like it's, it is inevitable I think we will get there but like I just I just want to see it in my lifetime <laughs> honestly I, like I 100 billion percent agree with you um I mean I, like I said before, I think that's why I wanted to resurrect the liberal youth as well, because I felt like the youth in terms of kind of like having a voice at the decision table were kind of being ignored. I think young people are not told, like, I think there's such a negative um, mindset about stuff yeah. like politics and I think young people when you say politics young people I mean I study it in uni when I tell people I study politics in uni especially young people they're like oh my god like what and it's kind of like I think politics can be so so empowering and it's such and I think young people have such a big voice and I think they need these youth groups the Muslim youth group the liberal youth groups any other youth groups in Gibraltar have such an important role in encouraging young people to essentially express their voice in matters that are important to them. Um, I mean, there's so many um, things that are so important to me personally, such as getting more women in politics in yes. Jib, because I think there's not enough women. Definitely um, not. No, there's not. And I think giving young women kind of like that encouragement that they can do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, ethnic minority women like yourselves, like Muslim women, I just like you don't see that representation and I just worry that women especially Muslim women think that they're not good enough and that they're, they're definitely 100% good enough 
And yeah. if anything, they're needed. Like they are needed in politics. Yeah, because um, diversity, like it thrives. Like diversity, we know this is key to like development and to to sustainable, like to to everything. Like honestly, and we see it just through like the climate change. Like there's a huge like it's a hot topic, right? Like climate change, climate crisis, and how to climate justice and how to kind of like respond to it. But you see the youth involvement growing, and and politicians actually saying right now, like that can actually go on like a podcast or a, a radio and actually say, you know what, we we should listen to the youth, we should listen listen to these voices because the innovation, the technology, the new like whatever whatever's needed to actually solve this is gonna come ultimately from the youth, and it will affect yeah. us most most of all. Like it's it's crazy to. And I think all of us realize as well. I think yeah. all of us realize when we come up to uni, for example, or just for example, working in a students' union now, like <clears throat> the amount of you know NGOs, the amount of groups of students led. Uh, for like when I came, <clears throat> my first uh, first two months, I think I came across around roughly 15, 20 different student groups, and uh, not led by my university, but led UK wide, where they kind of you know network with different universities uh, and develop. Uh, kind of plans for kind of they had this uh, challenge for COP26 that just passed um, on kind of developing uh, uh, some sustainable way of uh, what was it I think um, uh, some some type of plastic uh, plastic trays or something like that uh, and it, it just showed how many different you know different groups that are student-led that have no kind of financial gain from this are kind of you know uh, encouraged to kind of you know, develop our world and the world they're going to live in. Or we live <laughs> definitely i think it all starts with the youth up the youth <laughs> um i mean we can i literally could talk to you guys all night but i'm aware that Alan, and i and jib so they're an hour forward so you must be like dying um but kind of just to round it all up thank you so 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 much for talking with me i think it's been so insightful and i i've learned so much and i hope our listeners could learn um from you guys and i mean um yeah people who are listening like look out for your in, you have instagram you have fa- do you have a facebook page as well facebook page and twitter or do you not have twitter yet no so no twitter but instagram and facebook um and i like last thing i want to say is kind of like in my like i think moroccan heritage and moroccan culture in my opinion is such an important part of gibraltar's culture and i think even though I don't have Moroccan heritage, I think I find it so important to me, like that Moroccan heritage in the Gibraltar community. And I think it makes such an important part and such a beautiful part of our community. And I think what you guys do in kind of not just kind of keeping it amongst yourselves, but kind of spreading that culture and that like your faith um, to the rest of the community is such a wonderful thing and I thank you guys for that so much um but yeah thank you so much for talking with me have a good thank evening very much Christina you too. sleep well <laughs> you too you too Christina. thank you for thank you very much thank thank you so much um take care guys you Lots too bye 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 bye